verses 31 through 34. You know, from, from the moment of the fall in Genesis, we have been waiting for something new. You know, everything was lost, and the only hope was that Eve's offspring would come and bruise the head of the serpent. Partial newness came with Noah when God recreated from a new starting place. Yet, Noah's family had that same problem that Adam's did. It's the same problem that we have today, and that is sin. God wanted to make all things new, and he called Abraham to bring a new spiritual race of people, and God promised them land and offspring and blessing. And Abraham walked in faith towards this newness that he would never actually see with his own eyes. The land would come through another man, Moses, who would lead God's people out of the bondage of Egypt into the threshold of the promised land, only for them to face that same problem again, that problem of sin, and rebel against God and never see it with their own eyes. And once Israel was finally in the promised land, then we have the period of the judges and the kings to follow. Solomon's sin would lead to a divided country, and the sinful kings that came after him would lead the people astray. All of this brings us to Jeremiah's time. Now the people are exiles. They finally understand the weight of their sin and and the consequences of that so deeply that they grieve and they repent, and their prospects reverse. God promises that he has a future and a hope for them. And that, that, that future and that hope is a new covenant with them. And we see this in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Which says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Dear God, as we we open your word this morning, as we come and we read Jeremiah 31, God, we pray that you open the scripture up to us. God, I pray that you speak through me this morning. Help us to see what you were saying to the original audience through this passage, and God, help us to see what, what you continue to say to us through this passage to this day. God, help us to see, truly see the new covenant in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So God, God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. 
You know, God made promises all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve. And we see in the scripture that God promised Adam death when he sinned. He promised Adam and Eve curses with a hint of blessing when they exited the garden. When Noah landed on the ground, God promised that he would never flood the earth again. Yet the idea of covenant really crystallized when God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises three elements of the covenant, and that is land, offspring, and blessing. And later in Genesis 15, 18, that covenant is made explicit, saying, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the the river Euphrates. Abraham receives the covenant. The covenant is renewed in Moses, and it's later affirmed to David. Before they were taken into exile, Judah was living in the blessing of the Davidic covenant. And as we look here through the eyes of of the readers in Jeremiah's day, you know, perhaps now they were wondering if that covenant was still active. Because with everything going on in their lives, all of the suffering... Perhaps to them it seemed like God had forgotten them. And so God comes in, but here he doesn't affirm the covenant. What he does is he promises the inauguration of something new. Now this is something that we all see clearly from the vantage point of living after the coming of Christ. You know, we can see how God's plans were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. I mean, here we are, we have the Christmas season, we're celebrating the coming of, of the Savior. You know, it was, we're celebrating Christmas season. As we have Advent, you know, we are seeing this as the, the new covenant was promised, and we're seeing the fulfillment of that new covenant. And so it's, you know, it's great being here at this point in history, after the coming of Christ, and seeing this clearly. But as we go back into that initial context, this was new to them. the cross of Jesus was a promise of salvation for all who would believe. And unlike the old covenant, the new covenant would never fade away. At the time the message of Jeremiah is recorded, all of this is still to come. And God gives them details about what this new covenant is going to look like. You know, back in this time, the tragedy of the Babylonian conquest of Judah was obvious in the physical suffering that it entailed. And we find many passages in the prophets that speak to the death and the disease and the famine, the tears, and the exile that would come from God's judgment. Yet the most devastating horror of all of it was not any of those things specifically. It was that 
God was systematically unraveling the, the blessings of the covenant that he had made with his people. And this was a stunning reality because Israel's entire relationship with God was founded and structured around a series of covenants that God had made with them. You know, one, the, the Abrahamic covenant, where God promised that he would give Israel land and descendants and make them a blessing to the nations. The Mosaic covenant, where he bound the people to himself as a nation, promising blessing if they obeyed and curses if they did not. And the Davidic covenant in which he promised to establish the dynasty of King David to ensure that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne. But now, as Nebuchadnezzar's armies surround Jerusalem and as the people are carried into exile and Zedekiah sees his sons slaughtered, we can see the blessings of all three of those covenants crumbling before our eyes. And as we sit here in this Christmas season, we have this hope in Jesus. And I know Pastor Michael said it a couple weeks ago, but when we talk about hope as Christians, we're not saying, yeah, I hope Jesus really is all that he said he was. You know, we're talking about hope as an assurance. You know, we have this hope, we have this assurance of Christ. We see this new covenant from this side of history. We know that Jesus was who he said he was, and we are celebrating the coming of the Savior this Christmas season. But that hope that we have right now, that hope that we have this Christmas season, was not how they were feeling. Abraham had been promised land, but now the people were expelled from that land. David had been promised the dynasty, but the monarchy was ending. The whole structure of Israel's relationship with God was unraveling and collapsing, and all of it was deserved. Because of their sin, their outright rebellion against God, their continuous rebelling against God. But now, in the midst of the rubble of the covenants, God inexplicably declares that he is going to make a new covenant with his people. Instead of the laws being written on stone, it is written on the heart. Instead of the need for priests to mediate, each person comes to God directly personally. Instead of being held in suspense and subject to crumbling if and when the people fail, because as you know, we are people and we are sinners and we will fail. This covenant is eternally secured, rooted in an irrevocable forgiveness of sin. The new covenant will provide a fresh start for Israel and Judah, the first recipients of both the old and now the new covenant. And so in Jeremiah 31, God refers to the covenant I have made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. This is the, the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant was for a people already saved by grace. In Exodus 20, verses 1 through 2, it says that God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And once they were saved, God's people had to keep God's covenant in order to receive God's blessing. They had to worship God alone and keep the Sabbath holy, preserve the sanctity of human life, you know, tell the truth, and obey the rest of the Ten Commandments. You know, this Mosaic covenant, it was a good and a gracious covenant. 
But that big problem comes up again. As we see throughout the scriptures, it comes again and again and again. It's sin. This covenant was broken before it could even be ratified. By the time that Moses came down from the mountain, the people had cast a golden idol in the shape of a calf. And so God reissued the covenant only to see his people break it all over again. As we look at the history of the Old Testament, it is one of idolatry and immorality, of discontent and disobedience. You know, Judges, as I was preparing for this, I kept thinking about the book of Judges because it's, it's such a great example of this cycle. You know, we see in Judges, in time, I mean, really, it's a cycle. You know, the people, they, they rebel and they sin against God. They forget their God. They take other idols. And, you know, they, they receive judgment. And usually, you know, an oppressor comes in and, and the people are oppressed for a period of time. Finally, they repent. They finally realize their sin. They repent to, to the Lord, and God brings a judge to deliver them from their oppressors as they have repented. And then the land would lay rest for a period of years. And things would be good until they started the cycle over, until they forgot their God again, until they sinned and rebelled against their God again and took up other idols. And the cycle goes on and on and on, over and over and over again. And we look at that, and we're like, how, could you, how can you continue to forget this? But then we look at our own lives, and we also realize we also can be so quick to forget our God, to take up other idols. Maybe it looks different, but it's the same root issue. It's that same problem of sin. And so God begins with a reminder of the covenant that was broken. They rejected the one who loved them, who wanted to protect them. And now he will establish a new covenant that deals with transgression in a similar but new way. Jeremiah rightly identified sin as the problem with the old covenant. You know, Jeremiah, he, doesn't, he does not at all condemn the old covenant. But he condemns Israel for breaking that covenant. And not just breaking it. I mean, the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah are an exhaustive record of how Judah has completely and utterly shattered the On multiple occasions, Jeremiah stated that God was like a husband to his people. But Israel fell out of love and committed spiritual adultery everywhere. They broke the covenant and they did so aggressively. His bride had become completely and utterly unfaithful. And here's the thing, though. If every act of sin is covenant-breaking, then every sinner is a covenant-breaker. Every time we sin, we are being unfaithful in our marriage to God. You see, the problem is not that the covenant was bad. The problem is sin, and the problem is us. We, by nature, are covenant breakers. And failure to keep the covenant brings a curse. And so the people of Judah, they resented that curse. They felt sorry for themselves. 
You know, they thought that they felt like they were being punished for the sins of their fathers, but they were innocent. I mean, have you ever had that happen? You ever, in your lives, you know, get in trouble for something that you didn't actually do? You know, it, it, it's kind of like, I know, growing up, like, in school or something like that. It's like, you got that one kid that's acting up, and, like, you're being, you're being fine. Like, my, I was always scared to rebel. Like, I never even got a detention. Not because I was, like, that good a kid, but I was just scared to get in trouble. And so it's like, you know, the class is acting up, and you're being good, and, you know, the teacher's finally like, look, this one person's going to ruin it for everybody. And you just get so mad. It's like, I don't deserve that. I wasn't acting up. And, you know, this is kind of how these people were feeling. They're like, you know, our, our fathers that came before us, they sinned, but, you know, we're, we're being punished for, for their sin. The problem was, they had this wrong. They, they, you know, th- that, that whole little illustration did not apply to them, because what Jeremiah taught them was that they also deserved God's curse for their own sins, as well as for the sin of their parents. Corporately and individually, everyone who breaks the covenant is under God's curse. The old covenant ended in a curse, a deserved curse. But Jeremiah points to the new covenant. This new covenant will be different in that it will not be broken as Israel and Judah broke the first one despite God's faithfulness. And as we look at this new covenant in this passage, Jeremiah makes five promises about it. That the new covenant promises reconciliation, regeneration, possession, evangelization, and satisfaction for sin. You know, the first thing we see is that the new covenant promised reconciliation, the bringing together of all God's people into one redeemed race. We see that in verse 31 where it says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Jeremiah first promised this reconciliation at the beginning of his book. In Jeremiah 3, 17 and 18, it says at that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days the house of Judah will join the house of Israel, and together they will come from a northern land to the land I gave your forefathers as an inheritance. So he begins the book with this, but he also repeats it at the end of the book in Jeremiah 50, verses 4 and 5, saying, In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. Jeremiah's promises were fulfilled with the coming of Christ. There's only one new covenant people of God. As Galatians 3.28 tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of times in our lives, you know, it's, it's easy to really focus on our differences. Really, in our culture, in our world, you know, in, in all of these groups that we have, a lot of times they're, they're, we form them on, you know, we have similar personalities, we have similar interests, and so we all get together. 
And if you don't really fit that mold, a lot of times you don't fit into groups. You know, the church is wildly different in that way. You know, I look at, like, our youth or our young adult groups, uh, because, you know, as you guys know, I have a lot of interaction with those two groups. And, you know, we have people that are of such different personalities, have such different interests, uh, different skill sets. I mean, I came, I, you guys know I love sports. I'm really big into sports. I know a lot about it. I, I really nerd out in that way. And I came to Seaford. I didn't know a thing about board games. A lot of the people at Seaford really like board games. And so I learned, you know, I learned these things. And there's people, you know, in our, our young adult groups that are really, really crafty, really artsy, and creative in ways that I'm not. Uh, and, and all just basically all these different personalities that come and, and mesh together that normally wouldn't always fit, but we're united on what is most important. We have that unity in Christ. And what, what comes from that is biblical community. I mean, we see that. That's why it's so important in our small groups and our church coming together and serving together. We're all different and have different skills and talents, and we come together. We're unified on what's most important. And so it doesn't really matter when we have young adult Bible study that Ty doesn't care at all about the baseball game that I'm really into. Or, sorry, Ty. He's always my example in, in Bible study, too. My bad. You know, but none of that matters because we're united in Christ, and so we have that, that, that unity there, and everything flows from that. The friendship flows from there. The growth, the community flows from there. You know, the second thing we see, you know, because that, that comes, that comes from, as a result of our reconciliation to God. We are reconciled to God, and we have, you know, Christ as our foundation. You know, that unity flows from there. The second thing that we see that the new covenant promises is regeneration. The transformation of God's people from the inside out. And we see that in the first half of verse 33, where it says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The word that was spoken to them was an external word that needed to be internalized. He is prophesying about a day when the word would be in their hearts. Now, the problem with the Mosaic Covenant was that it was written on tablets of stone. And if anything was written on the hearts of God's people, it was their sin. But with the new covenant, God solved the problem of the sinful heart by giving his children new hearts and new minds. Rather than writing the law on tablets and scrolls and asking the people to internalize it, God will write it on their hearts from the start. He will be the God of this new covenant, just as he was for the old covenant partners who loved him. Now, it's important to, to note that the new covenant did not did not abolish the old. Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And so both covenants demand obedience to the law, but the difference is rather than being administered externally, the law shall be administered from within the heart. The law written on the heart is a promise about the coming of God's Spirit. We see that in Hebrews 10, 16, which tells us, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Only the Holy Spirit can change a heart. 
And a Christian whose heart has been regenerated by God's Spirit knows how to please God. The law written on the heart helps the Christian to know what to do in life circumstances. You know, as we're growing in our walk with the Lord, as we're growing in our knowledge of the Lord, the law is written on our hearts as we go through life, you know, as, as we are more and more familiar, as we're growing in that, that relationship, you know, the, it's on our hearts even more. We know what to do as things come our way. And for the Christian, obedience to the law is not a prior condition for entering the new covenant. You know, we hear a lot, a lot of times people say, or, or we can think, I really need to get back to church, but I need to get myself right before I can come back to the Lord. I need to work on this myself and then come to the Lord because I'm a mess right now. But we know as believers, you know, we need to go to the Lord first. He is who fixed. We can't fix ourselves. And so that obedience to the law, it's not a prior condition. It's not, all right, you need to do this, this, and this. Then you can come to the Lord. Then you can come to church and be, you know, renewed. You know, rather, this is, is one of the promised blessings in the new covenant. And in talking about the covenant you know, hundreds of years ago, Jonathan Edwards wrote, I think the difference here pointed out between these two covenants lies plainly here, that the old covenant, in the old covenant, God promised to be their God upon condition of hearty obedience. Obedience was stipulated as a condition, but not promised. But in the new covenant, this hearty obedience is promised. And so from there, we look over to the second half of verse 33, where we see the third new covenant promise, possession. It says, God's people would have a claim on God, and he would have a claim on them. It says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. God's people would no longer be their own. They would belong to God. God would belong to them. Whenever God makes a covenant, you know, with his people, what he's really giving them is himself. So the primary blessing of the new covenant, it's friendship and fellowship with the triune God. This is the crown and goal of our faith. Union and communion with God. The fourth aspect that we see of Jeremiah's new covenant promise was evangelization. We see that in the first half of verse 34. It says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. You know, the Bible often commands believers to teach one another to know the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty important in the Christian life that we know the risen Savior. We know Jesus. We have, we've trusted in Christ as our Savior. We've accepted the gospel. And so we go out with this knowledge as we look into our world that is lost and dying, that does not know the Lord. You know, as we, as we come here, you know, at Christmas time, you know, this is one of, you know, the, the times where people are most likely to accept an invitation to church. Or we have things like, you know, our Christmas light show where we want to be serving so that we can share the gospel with people because we know there are so many people in our communities or in our families or our state, our nation, our world that don't know Jesus, that don't have that hope. And it breaks our hearts because we know the good news. We know that we have not earned it. And we know that so many are lost. 
And so, you know, we're commanded to go and, and you know, to the corners of the earth, to the ends of the earth, sharing the good news of Jesus. But here, Jeremiah promises a day when such teaching would no longer be necessary because everyone would know God. And here, that word know, it refers to the intimate, personal knowledge that comes when two people are totally committed to one another. It's a deep knowledge. You'll notice the personal language that's used here. <clears throat> God will be theirs. And they will be God's. Even though they had been faithless, God is going to make all of this right. And as we come this summer with our youth, we are finally going to be able to actually take this mission trip to work with Alex Hanovich, our church planner in Philadelphia. It's been a long time coming because of COVID, and you know, he was sharing with me, we'll actually be the first mission team that he has coming back since COVID has started. And we're going to be going over there, and really what he told me is we're going to kind of be figuring everything out from scratch. You know, his big thing is you know, they, they're in a really wealthy area right next to the campus of Villanova. Um, and so they're going to be, you know, it's a lot of people that just, they've either, either been burned by the church early on, just have no desire for any, you know, talk about, you know, faith at all, or they haven't been burned, they just still have no desire. It's a completely, really utterly lost place that, that he is, has planted this church in, and what he has done is he worked really hard to build relationships and build trust within the community to show them that they care and that they love their community. And so COVID has made things a little bit difficult because really the whole community is shut down. So now what we're going to be able to go and do with, with our, our youth is, you know, we're going to be able to start building that trust again, building that relationships. And, you know, some of the things that we used to do that we may do again, it's, you know, even though it's Pennsylvania, it still gets hot in the summer. And, you know, people get off that metro and we can hand them a bottle of water or, um, doing different service projects in the community. Because when you do stuff there, and they're like, why are you serving the community? What like organization are you with? And we're like, oh, we're not. We're with Horizon Community Church. We're, 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 you know, we, we just want to show the community that we love it. The church loves the community. And um, they're like, why? why? Why are you doing And then you have conversations, you know, because their, their minds are blown. And so we're going to be doing all these things to, to build trust in the community for, you know, Alex's church as we leave, and he continues to be there to be able to minister to those people, to be able to share the gospel. And it's really exciting, and I share all of this because as we see right here where Jeremiah promises this day where there will be, there will be no mission trips in heaven. There will be no evangelism because there will be no need. Everyone will know God. And so we look forward to that day as believers, but it also reminds us right here and right now that we need to get to work. Because eternity is coming. And there are so many people that do not know the Lord, that do not have a saving knowledge, a saving relationship in Jesus Christ. And so here we are with this opportunity to share the good news that we have received, to share the good news of the new covenant that we celebrate at Christmas. And of course, there's a variety of ways that we do that. I share the one with our youth mission trip to Philadelphia because I'm really excited that it's, it's actually going to be able to happen this year. But we have so many opportunities. And right now, with Upward Basketball, or our Christmas lights, or as we have time to share with our families during the Christmas season, we have an opportunity to share the gospel, 
the good news of Jesus Christ with people that do not know him. And it's important that we do because we know eternity is coming. The last promise that we see in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is that the new covenant promises satisfaction for sin. We see that in the second half of verse 34, which says, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. And this might be the best blessing of the new covenant. I mean, the old covenant tried to deal with the problem of sin through the sacrifices of the law. But in the new covenant, sin would be dealt with once and for all. The price of sin would be paid in full. The sins of God's people were forgiven at Calvary. And when Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And this is what we, we just remembered as we took the Lord's Supper just a few minutes ago. Jesus was uh, claiming that all the promises of the new covenant find fulfillment in him, that Jesus is the new covenant. The new covenant is established by his blood shed on the cross for our sins. And the blessings of the new covenant are located in the crucified and risen Christ. As he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The new covenant offers full and final satisfaction for the curse of God against every kind of covenant breaking. And the forgiveness that would come in the new covenant would be permanent. And so Jeremiah invites Judah to imagine that forgiveness is purely an act of grace that can never be taken away. Because this is the promise of the new covenant. God himself asserts that all people shall know him. And this is not only an intellectual knowing about God, but a relational knowing made possible by regeneration. It means believing in Him and trusting in Him and obeying Him in gratitude for salvation. And those to whom the new covenant applies will have their sins forgiven. And believers can know God internally through regeneration. And by His grace, our sins are wiped away. So as we close today, as we come you know, to the end of this passage, after hearing the promises of the new covenant, your question is, well, what still needs to be done? The answer is, believe. All the promises of the new covenant are things that God himself undertakes. In Jeremiah 31, 31, I will make a new covenant. In verse 33, I will put my law in their minds. I will be their God. In verse 34, I will forgive their wickedness. And after our passage, just a few verses later, in verse 37, he will not reject all the descendants of Israel. All of the terms of the new covenant are promises. And so at Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Christ. In Jeremiah, we see way back in the Old Testament, this new covenant is promised. And we have seen the fulfillment of that promise and the coming of Christ. And as we see throughout the scriptures, his coming is taking on flesh, his living the perfect life that we never could, his dying the death that we deserve, and taking on the full wrath of God that we had earned. By his raising from the dead 
as only God could. And as we respond to Christ by trusting in him as Lord and Savior and repenting of our sins, we are saved. Now, God's covenant already made from eternity between the Father and Christ, the second Adam, has been revealed and offered to us in the gospel. So this Christmas season, remember his covenant. Remember the gospel. As you set up, maybe, maybe you haven't decorated for Christmas yet. Maybe you might have. But as you get ready for the holidays, you get ready for the family gatherings, as you look forward to those precious memories, keep Christ at the forefront of your minds. Because our hope is not built on our works or our possessions or our worldly moments like a wonderful holiday season. Our hope comes in the new covenant. That covenant that promises reconciliation and regeneration and possession and evangelization and satisfaction of sin. And it comes through Jesus, who we remember and celebrate this season. At this time, as we go to the Lord in prayer and in worship, you know, if you would like to respond to the service, you would like to you know, perhaps trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, or you know, if you just have any questions about the sermon or questions about our church, you know, make sure come and talk to, to myself or, or Pastor Ben. We would love to answer those questions or get to know you or, you know, or talk to you about any of that. Or you know, if, if you'd like, or um, you're with us on the live stream today, you, know, you can text us at connect at seafordbaptist.com. Even though that's an email, if you text it, it'll come through as well. Um, so you make sure, you know, if, if you would like you know, to trust in Christ as Savior or you, would, you have questions about the sermon, either connect at seafordbaptist.com or, again, myself and Pastor Ben would love to talk to you. Let's pray.